The following program is being brought to you on the 7th Wave Network. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit 7thWaveNetwork.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Good afternoon, and welcome to Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews. Over the next hour, you'll learn how to see your true self in the midst of life's twists and turns. You'll be challenged to think outside of the box when it comes to the mysteries of life. Now, here's your host, Andrea Matthews. Good afternoon, and welcome to the Authentic Living Show. Without morality, how would you manage your behavior? How would any of us? Won't we just fall apart, become the evil we always suspected we were? How will we keep ourselves from hurting others, from sabotaging ourselves, from being unkind, unloving, uncertain, from becoming the worst we imagine of ourselves? Won't we need something else like guilt or remorse or fear to keep us in line? Well, what if you knew that there was someone living deep inside of you who operated out of compassion and passion and who, without the external onus of morality, can guide you? What if that person has always been living inside of you trying to get out? What if, in fact, it's the most genuine you of you, the most real aspect of you? If that were true, if that truth became apparent to you, what would you do? Well, this week we're going to decide whether or not this is true, and if it is, what we can do about it. And we're going to listen to a clip from the next Super Soul Sunday, which is going to be very interesting coming up this Sunday. So, okay, let's talk about morality for just a minute. Morality, you know, when we look at the whole sort of history of morality, and at least our views on the history of morality, we... we understand it to be that thing that made us civilized. We understand it to be that uh, that we can count on it to make sure that we don't misbehave. <laughs> well, obviously, it's not working because as more the more civilized we become, the less civilized we become. The more civilized we become, the more our shadow aspect appears. The more we become civil and certain the more we have uh, become aware of child abuse and child neglect and, and um, rape and all kinds of terrible, heinous, um, torturous crimes, um, we become aware of the darker side. So one of the things that Carl Jung believed was that the more righteous we become, the more our shadow aspect shows. And um, he didn't say it just that way, but basically he says that um, family members become insufferable to their family members when the, f- when the first family member is very righteous because their other side appears. So the more we're trying hard to be good, the more the quote-unquote bad comes out. And that is just going to happen. And so we've become more aware in the past 20 years of, of the terrible um, kinds of child abuse we have running rampant throughout our country still, even though we've become aware of it. 
we formulated organizations that are supposed to deal with it, and yet it still runs rampant. Rape runs rampant throughout our country, where uh, we are fully aware of the fact that women get raped, and we and men sometimes get raped, but we don't. Uh, we aren't dealing with the rapist. We're dealing with the rapee. <laughs> We are teaching them how to protect themselves, how to uh, learn Kung Fu, how to dress in a way that's not seductive, how to um, protect themselves at night, how to make sure they always go out in a group, make sure that they're not on their cell phone when they get in their car, etc., etc., etc. So we're talking to the victims, not to the people who are, are the perpetrators. And as long as that's the case... Perpetrators are going to continue to grow in volume, frequency, and, and uh, number. So, so okay, we are becoming more aware of our darker side, but we are seemingly still pretty much incapacitated to know what to do about it. And morality was supposed to fix that for us. And we've been working on that plan for centuries now, but it's not working. Okay, so here's what I'm not going to recommend. I'm not going to recommend we throw out all of all of our moral codes. I'm not going to recommend that we say, oh, well, we don't need laws and codes anymore because obviously they're not working, so let's just throw them out. That's not what I'm going to say today. In fact, that's not what any of our great spiritual leaders said. Jesus, um, in, in, for one, said that, um, not one jot or tittle of the law should be, should go away until all is completed. Now that all is completed is interesting because what is it that's supposed to be being completed? Well, if you've been listening to this show and particularly the past several episodes in which we had our countdown to heaven, which by the way, the book did come out last Friday and, uh, is doing well on the market. So go get your copy today and I want to hear from you about how, what you think is true or false, how the book impacted you. I want to hear from you. Write to me at uh, Andrea at AndreaMatthewsLPC.com. I'll be happy to, to talk with you about the book. Um, so go get your copy and read it and write to me. Tell me what you think. Um, so, okay, if you've been listening to those shows, you know that I have a theory, and my theory is that we came here not necessarily to win a great battle of good over evil, but rather to unite form with formlessness. And that includes a process of duality in which we believe that we're separated from the divine because once upon a time we were not form, we were formlessness. We were Elohim, we were the gods, and we formed ourselves into form. And when that happened, the questions had to be answered. We had to say, well now... If formlessness can create form, is form separate from formlessness? And if it is, what does that mean? And that's the process we've been in ever since. And so what we've done about that process is we have um, skewed off more and more into left or right, evil or good. Um, and we have identified with one of those polarities or of some gradation in between. Those polarities. So when we're finding our identities between the ages of two and seven, um, what happens is good and bad, the idea, the notion of goodness and badness is floating around in our homes all the time. And our parents are telling us how to be good. And they're telling us not to be bad. 
And uh, whether they say the words, you're bad or you're good, which over the past 20 years, many of our um, psychologists and psychiatrists out there have told us, don't be telling your children that they're bad because that makes them you know, want to reinforce that. But there's many ways to tell a child something. We don't have to say the words to believe it. And we're all worried about whether or not our children are going to turn out good. Every one of us, guilty, and yours truly included, guilty as charged. We want our children to be good children. We want them to have happy, long, beautiful, productive lives. We want them to be, um, you know, productive people who offer something good to the world. We don't want them to be serial killers or, or um, you know, bank robbers or, you know, just curmudgeons. We, don't, we want them to be good people in our mind, what, whatever that means to us. So... When we, when it comes to this idea of, of, uh, perpetuating the duality trance state, that's exactly how it happens. It happens in every home around the world. Every time a child is told how to be good and how not to be bad, or that he or she has done something bad and they need to stop doing that. Um, because the thing is that when, when that is happening, children can identify with it. They can say, oh, this means I'm bad. And, when we identify with anything, we are pinning our existence on that thing that with, with which we identify. So if I say I'm this smart bottle of water, this smart water bottle that's sitting right here in front of me, well, I'm pinning my existence to that smart water bottle. So if the smart water bottle suddenly disappears, then I feel like my existence is in question. Now, that's a real simplified example of what I mean. But if I believe to myself that I'm a good person... And that in order to maintain that, I have to go around doing good. And sometimes I end up sacrificing um, what I really want for other people because that's how I'll continuously prove that I'm a good person. Then if somehow along the way somebody is to point out to me that I'm just doing that so that I can feel like a good person, (laughs) then I might all of a sudden call my existence into question. Well, then what am I doing here? That's what we call an existential crisis, and it's a beautiful point in our lives when we begin to say, okay, what am I doing here? What is the real purpose of my existence? If it's not to be good, then what the heck am I doing here? Okay, so those are really important times in our lives, but we avoid those times like the plague because it's really scary to be standing on the precipice of life and ask yourself, really, I've been living this whole pathway uh, on, in, on this, uh, in this direction, and now I've landed at the edge of the cliff, and there's no bridge. So what? Who? What do I do now? And that's the way it feels when our existence is called into question. It's like, oh, what am I now? Who am I now? Is there nothingness? Is there emptiness? What is that? But those are beautiful points of opportunity where we learn to create our bridge, and sometimes even learn to fly. So. Um, so the point of this the, the the point of this discussion is to talk about morality. So morality has been the way that we sort of reined ourselves in to try to be those good people. And of course those people who have identified with badness uh they want to sort of um do away with refuse morality. They want to say I don't I'm not going to be good. I'm going to be bad and that's how I'll know I exist. I have literally, as you know, been, some of you have been listening know that I've been to prison systems where I've actually heard um, uh, an inmate say to me 
Now, you're a nice lady. You should probably stay away from me because I'm a bad dude. And what they're really telling me is this is how I identify. I identify as bad. And as long as I identify as bad, then I'm going to have to repeat bad actions. We wonder why the recidivism rate in our prisons is so high. We think it's because prison has become a kind of home for people who have had maybe bad home lives. And that, that, that I don't dispute that theory either. But I think additionally, we, we are working with people who have identified as bad. And if I've identified as bad, I've got to continually do bad in order to feel like I exist. And so if we can work with our prisoners on that, in the same way if we could work with rapists on why it is that they rape, what's going on with that, now, certainly they need to be contained while doing that. I'm not saying they should not be put in jail. But I do think they need to be contained and make the rest of us safe. But I, but I think that we're, we may be heading in the wrong direction when all we do is punish. Because all that does is reinforce that I'm bad. And then I can go do bad again because I have to, to prove that I continue to be bad. So if I get out of jail, am I good now? Uh-oh, that means I don't exist. Let me go do something bad so that I can confirm my existence. So that's how that thing works, that identity. It's huge. But it truly has nothing to do with bad or good because, in fact, bad and good actually cancel each other out. Because if you, if, if we think about the, the definition of good, it always includes that I'm not bad. If I'm good, then I'm not bad. <laughs> and if we think about the definition of bad, well, that includes that I'm, I'm not good. I'm not being good. And so if I'm bad, then uh, I can't be good. And if I'm good, I can't be bad. Well, okay, it doesn't go that simple, of course. There's lots of gradations in between those two. But the point is that they, that they, you know, at the point where they begin to define themselves as not the other, they lose their definition. So if I'm good and I define myself as good because I'm not bad, then, then I've lost my definition of goodness. What is goodness if it's only not badness? And how do I know badness? Well, badness is not goodness, so the definitions of both get real blurry in there. The other thing is they begin to cancel each other out, especially when we consider the spiritual context. Like, for example, when Yahweh in the Old Testament defines himself, he says, I am Yahweh. I create peace and I create evil. I, Yahweh, do all of these things. That's in the book of Isaiah. When, you know, there's lots of ways we define the divine, but when the divine defines the divine, we get a truth there that's just pretty impossible for us to wrap our heads around. That the divine, who is the, the I am that I am that will always be the I am, that divine also creates evil? What? We just have a hard time with that. But when we, because we've decided that the divine is good and Satan, his alternate, his gen, uh, gender specific name, uh, pronoun there, um, alter ego or his arch enemy is the devil, Satan. And that is all bad. So we got all good over here as God and all bad over here as, as, um, as the devil. And so, but when we start thinking that God, as who who defined himself as I am that I am the absaity, um, selfhood itself, when the divine defined himself that way itself that way, and then also said I am also the one that's creating both good and evil, and then Jesus also says it rains and on the good and the bad alike. We have to start calling this stuff about good and bad into question, and wondering if we've even got the right 
the quote-unquote right way of looking at it. Um, we have maybe misperceived the whole deal. So when we're trying so hard to be moral, all we're doing is perpetuating that whole belief system that says, I have to be good so I won't be bad. And if I'm bad, then, you know, what does that mean? Well, to a lot of people, it means they might go to hell. And and that idea is one that keeps people sort of in line based in fear. To a lot of other people, it just means, oh, I've done something really bad, so now I feel really guilty and like a bad person, and my worth is called into question. And so then we're, we're saying, okay, now we can use guilt to keep us in line. Guilt can make me do the right thing, right? Guilty conscience can make me into a good person because if I feel guilty, then I'm better than I would be if I didn't feel guilty, right? <laughs> so it's really hard to ever get righteous there. But the, the, the idea is one in which we're sort of on this cycle perpetually, always avoiding bad so that we can be good, always, you know, uh, rebelling against good so we won't be too good. And, and so most of us are doing that in some kind of way because we're not living on those poles where we're either very holy or very evil. We're living somewhere in the middle where we don't want to be too good. We don't want to be too bad. And that's how we define our lives. And everything that doesn't fit in that paradigm gets repressed. So we're repressing a lot of information about who we really are that has nothing to do with being good or bad. All because we've got our lives set in this pattern of good or bad. Even an atheist tries to define his life or her life by a set of values, a set of ethics that have something to do with being good or bad. And most of us um, think in, the, in terms of goodness being, being how we treat others and badness also being how we treat others. And certainly how we treat others is important and has equal importance to how we treat ourselves. But that's not how we generally look at it. We generally look at it in terms of how we treat others is the most important of those two options. How we treat ourselves is way secondary. Why? Because when you start thinking about yourself, well, that makes you kind of selfish and that means you're kind of bad. And you should feel guilty about that. So, yeah, let's not do that much. So we, we don't equalize those uh, those two sides of the uh, of the equation we just uh, live into the idea that how I treat others is going to be how I decide whether or not I'm a good person but how we treat ourselves is going to decide how we treat others and that's something we are just on the very fringes of beginning to get and I really mean fringes because there are billions of us out there that are still not thinking in that way and and so it's really important for us to really look at this whole thing of morality and what it means as well as what it would mean to live without it. Well, how, how, who we would be if we didn't have that guide. So we're going to talk about this some more right after the break. Stay tuned for more. The Voice America 7th Wave Channel. Step into the doorway to conscious choice, greater health, and well-being. Attain the balance that you've been seeking. Tune in and turn on 1111 Talk Radio. Feed the mind. Embrace positively. Release the tension. 
Step Out of Fear. Host Simran Singh will help you broaden your mind and open your heart toward a greater understanding of how to take charge of your life. 1111 Talk Radio is here every Thursday at 7 p.m. Eastern Time, 4 p.m. Pacific Time on 7th Wave Network. 1111 Talk Radio, because shift happens. Being Here with Ariel and Shia Kane is an ordinary person's guide to modern-day enlightenment. This show is an exciting exploration which opens the door to living in the moment. Don't miss Being Here. Tune in every Wednesday at 9 a.m. Pacific, 12 noon Eastern with Ariel and Shia Kane, right here on the 7th Wave Network. Explore subconscious programs, belief systems, and past life memories that may be sabotaging your life. Join host Dorian Light on her show, All About You, as she helps you to shift change and heal your life. Each week, Dorian does a light session using psychic energetics and the language of light to energetically shift and clear negative patterns you have stored regarding that week's topics. Step into the realm of infinite possibilities for your life. All About You airs live Wednesdays at 8 p.m. Eastern Time, 5 p.m. Pacific on 7th Wave. Invite meaning and inspiration to your life. This is the Voice America 7th Wave Channel. You're listening to Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews. We want to hear from you. If you have a question or comment about today's show, call in now, toll free, 1-866-472-5795. That's 1-866-472-5795. You can also send your questions or comments by email to Andrea at andreamatthewslpc.com. Now, back to Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews. the Authentic Living Show is sponsored by the American Institute of Holistic Theology. You may wonder what the terms holistic theology mean. Well, theology is the study of the divine, and holistic theology is a holistic study of the divine that includes all religions and even transcends religion to get to the mystical core of them all. The American Institute of Holistic Theology offers doctorate, master's, and ministerial bachelor's degrees, chaplaincy programs with internship, NBCC-approved continuing education, and a brand-new Ph.D. program in holistic theology. AHT's programs include degrees in the following, holistic theology offering as terminal degrees both a Th.D. and a Ph.D., holistic ministries, holistic health and spiritual care, metaphysical spirituality, and alternate spiritual traditions, which includes in-depth studies in the paranormal. Using a home study model for distance learning, the student of AIHT gets a thorough education in the field that fulfills and offers a chance to authenticate a unique gift for the world. What is most important to AIHT's model is the exploratory nature of studies that reach to the depths of all the world's religions, traditions, and paths. Utilizing, as your text-writing teachers, spiritual experts from all over the world, the coursework allows students to explore and find their own spiritual experience and path, and then, if they wish, to take healing, help, and wisdom to others. So AIHT is changing the world one student at a time. 
And all you have to do to enroll is either go to www.aiht.edu or contact Admissions Director Beverly Love at 800-650-4325. Again, if you'd like to enroll right now, pick up the phone and call 800-650-4325. You know, Oprah says education is the key to unlocking the world, a passport to freedom. Call and get your passport today. <clears throat> Excuse me. So we're talking today about morality and what what we've done with it over the centuries and what it would be like if we had to live without it. Suppose right this second that somebody came along out of the, you know, <laughs> some alien spaceship comes along out of the atmosphere and just swoops in and sucks all the morality out of us. What do you what do you imagine would happen? Well, the first thing that we imagine for most of us is that the world would just become absolute utter chaos. Everybody in the world would just do whatever they wanted whenever they wanted and nobody would have compassion for anybody else and the world would just become this evil uh, mess and, <clears throat> and that would ultimately mean we'd end with a whimper. No, not a whimper, a bang. And so we, when we think about uh, this whole thing of morality, it is the crutch on which we have leaned to create some sense that we can manage our lives. <clears throat> so we don't want to take that away. We don't want to say, well, now, just walk. You don't need the, you don't need that crutch anymore. Just walk. We wouldn't do that to somebody who didn't, was not able to walk, and we're not going to do it to ourselves. And that's why, uh, these wise spiritual masters knew that we can't do away with the law until all is complete. But being complete means that we come to a new understanding of who we are. So <clears throat> that's what we need to talk about now. Excuse me. And what, what that essentially means is that um, our completion rests entirely in something deeper inside of us, something that is not uh, run by morals, something that has more to it than a moral code. Something that's stronger than a moral code, something that can actually uh, guide, not just guide, but be our behavior, our thoughts, our emotions, so that we're constantly uh, able to be as full of our potential as we can be. <clears throat> so uh, this process includes one in which we evolve to that place. And we can't evolve to that place uh, without some thinking about it. Now, we're, we're not going to evolve to that place by, again, by just snatching your morals away from you. What we are going to evolve to that, what we are going to do to evolve to that place, however, if we are going to choose to evolve to that place, is to uh, begin to look inside ourselves and to tell the truth. There's a parable <clears throat> that Jesus uses in the Bible. Uh, actually, it's a story about Jesus in the Bible where he meets with a woman at a well. And she's um, a woman from another country who the Hebrews are not really supposed to be engaged with because they're considered to be unclean. And uh, she uh, talks to him about what he's going to do with, uh, you know, what he's doing there at the well. And he asks her to get him some water. And and um, she says, well, you know, I don't have a spoon to dip with. How am I going to get you some water? And he says, well, you know, if you knew what water I was talking about, then uh, it would be a whole different story here. And basically what he t tells her is, I know who you are. She says, 
you know, that she, uh, that she has a man that she's living with. And she says, yeah, he says, yeah, you have, have had several husbands and this one is not even your husband. And so ultimately she runs back to her village and tells everybody that this man must be some kind of prophet and asks even, is he, is he the coming Messiah? And <clears throat> the story amounts to Jesus basically saying to her that I have water to drink that you know not of. And, you you know, if you could have some of that water, it would change your life. And, 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 you know, there will come a time in which we worship in spirit and in truth, not in law. In other words, we won't worship because we're afraid that if we don't worship, bad things will happen to us. Or we don't worship because we should. Or we don't worship because everybody says that's how it's supposed to be. Or we don't even worship because anything. We worship because it's our spirit to worship. And we worship because it's the truth to worship. Okay? So basically what he's saying there is there's something different that that uh, we can bring to ourselves. A new understanding that we can bring to ourselves. And uh, so... When we're thinking about this new understanding, uh, we can refer back also to a passage uh, in the Sermon on the Mount. And I need to explain, I'm using Jesus' um, words here because those are the very words that so many of us are using to, to refute what I'm about to say. So I'm using those very words to show that what I'm about to say is truth. Okay? So what, one of the things that Jesus said was... Uh, that our righteousness should exceed that of the Pharisees. Now, the Pharisees were the were the leading lawmakers of the day. They were uh, considered to be the elite of the elite in terms of righteousness. Um, and our righteousness was supposed to exceed theirs. So how is that going to be? Well, we have to understand the word righteousness there. And when we look at the root language we have to assume that we've chosen the wrong word to elucidate this meaning. The, the word righteousness really doesn't fit there. Because what it means is that we are to be only Christ truly. And you could substitute Buddha there. Only Buddha truly. Only the Buddha nature truly. Or you could say um, from the Bhagavad Gita, only divine self truly. But it is, what it is is the deepest essence of who we are. It is a Christ nature. It is a uh, Christ broken down to its um, ultimate meaning is also selfhood. The ipsaity, which is the I am that I am, is also selfhood. So our deepest self is um, is Christ-like, is Buddha-like, is divine self-like. Not just like, but it is divine self. So... If we could begin to rely on that and let it be our guide and let it be our the the presence within us that pushes our actions and our words and our thoughts and our emotions, then then what happens is we don't operate out of morality anymore. And if all of us were doing that, then we can throw away the morals <laughs> after we have incorporated the divine self the Buddha self, the, you know, however you want to call that, that deepest essence of who we are is Elohim, the gods. 
And we haven't figured that out yet. And we're afraid to even say that. As a matter of fact, when I first started trying to talk about this, I was afraid to say that. Because, you know, who wants to go around saying everybody's God? Because, you know, people think you're nuts. And, you know, some people do think I'm nuts. And I just have to go, okay, that's what you think. That's all right with me. But here's the deal. If, if I can be true to that deepest essence of who I am, then I don't need laws. I don't need morals. I am that I am. I am ipsaity. That is always going to be I am. And that beingness is all I have to be. So when we step into the stillness that we find in meditation, if you've ever just touched the hem of that garment, even for a second, and become aware that, oh, wow, there's the peace, there's the stillness, that's where nothing is moving and everything is movement. That's where the nothingness that is everything is. We touch the hem of that garment and we get an instant understanding that, oh, there it is. That's who I am. That's who I really, really am at my core essence. And then when we can begin to step closer to that and closer to that and closer to that through more and more meditation, through more and more walking from that stillness that is us, then we begin to live it out. And as we do that, we don't need morals to tell us what to do. We just do what is in us to do. Um, Thich Nhat Hanh says there are clouds and flowers that, you know, don't need morals to tell them what to do. But they do it because it's in them to do, basically. And there are people who act like clouds and flowers. And if people knew that they they didn't think in terms of good and evil, they'd laugh at them. But the people that don't think in those terms are also laughing because they kind of have the last laugh. So that was a big paraphrase of what Thichnot Han said. But basically the tenor of it is that we don't have to live in terms of good and evil. We don't have to live by a code that tells us, defines us from an external standard. You know, one of the most difficult and I think harmful things about these codes is that it makes, they make us measure our worth. They make us question our worth. Am I worthy if I'm a bad person? Am I worthy if I've done something that I don't respect? You know, there's times when I've had to confess to doing something that I didn't really respect in myself. I, I saw myself acting in a way that I didn't really respect. And I had to go to the person and say, you know what, here's what I did, and, and uh, yeah, I'm going to work on that. And uh, so when I do that, what that is is me folding myself a little closer to my beingness, my beingness that isn't good or bad, but just knows the truth. The truth is that's not how I really wanted to act. But if I said to myself, oh, well, I've got to rein that in, I've got to not, you know, be whatever it is that I was. I've got to, let's, let's talk, let's say I was angry, you know, in a bad mood, angry, and said something I didn't want to say. Well, then, you know, I've got to rein that in. I've got to make sure I don't get angry again. I've got to, oh, anger is, oof, that's what anger does. I literally have clients who come to see me and say, you know, I, I haven't been angry lately. I haven't hit anybody. <laughs> I'm like, well, have you felt angry? Because anger is not just an action. It's a feeling first. But we get so out of touch with that because 
we're operating out of behaviors so externalized, so out there, not in here, that we're that we don't even know whether or not we're feeling angry. And of course, that's why it grows big and large and gets turns into rage and gets really ugly um, and even violent. So, uh, so if I say to myself, "I'm going to rein in something because it's bad," I feel guilty about you know being angry and having said what I said. And oh my gosh, I'm going to have to rein that in. All I'm doing is repressing it, and it's going to come back out again later in some way that's not pretty. So that's not how it works. But if I if I have an angry moment, on the other hand, and I'm able to sit with that angry moment and be present, my bring my essence, my divine self into the room with that anger, then then what happens is first I have some compassion for what it is that that uh, my, my anger is all about. And second, I begin to assimilate that anger into my divine essence. So then it becomes a solution to a problem rather than um, a bad energy. The bottom line is the core essence of every emotion we have is energy. It's just an energy that that informs us about something that's going on in our lives, whether external or internal, mostly internal. Uh, my anger doesn't come from the outside. It comes from the inside. And that's another misunderstanding we have about our, our emotions. We think that somebody else can make us angry. But they don't. They don't make us angry. We feel angry in response to something they've done. But that's not on them. That's on us. And so... Now, not to say that everybody's always treating us right, treating us well either, but uh, th- but it is to say that how we respond to that is on us. So, so if I'm if my anger is telling me something about me, then it's a great energy for me to have. I need it. I need to know more about me, even if it means that I understand more of my all my my the ways that I'm uh, trading myself away. For something that isn't authentic, even if it tells me that I'm I'm hungry and tired and alone, and I've gotten too hungry and too tired and too alone, and I need some time to be with others, or I need some time to eat, or have some space, or something, my anger can tell me all those things. But if I don't listen, it's not going to tell me, and I'm not going to know. I'm just going to feel guilty. So anger or any other quote-unquote negative emotion can make me more aware of who I am as divine self. So it's very useful. So I bring my divine essence into the room with my anger and allow my anger to be what it is in the presence of my divine self, and then we, we begin to assimilate. So that's how that works. And we can come from the stillness in our everyday walk. We can know that the stillness, which seems, you know, we say that word stillness, it almost sounds like stagnancy. It sounds like, oh, well, nothing's moving. But there is a stillness in which there is a rhythm and a pulse and a, and a power and a tremendous energy that comes from way deep inside of us. And it's there from which we can live and be able to live without the external um, onus of somebody else's standard for our lives because after all who made these standards and we're going to talk some more about that right after the break and we're going to get to hear 
the clip from the upcoming Super Soul Sunday. So be here for that. This is the Voice America 7th Wave Channel. Ask Theo Live is talk radio like you've never heard before. Following her near-death experience, world-renowned author and spiritual medium Sheila Gillette became the direct voice channel for Theo, a consortium of 12 archangels. Through this unique channel, Sheila and her co-host Marcus Gillette present you with an opportunity to speak directly with Theo live on air on any topic you wish to discuss, including receiving authentic messages from deceased loved ones and angelic guides. Get the answer you need by tuning in to Ask Theo Live Talk Radio. Tuesday mornings at 8 a.m. Pacific Time, 11 a.m. Eastern Time on 7th Wave Network. Who am I? Why am I here? Where am I going? How do I get there? If you're searching for the answers to these and other spiritual questions, you can look within. And you can tune into The Open Door. Our program will expand your awareness of the teachings of the Ascended Masters, offer you practical tools that promote self-mastery and personal freedom, and provide an unerring pathway for graduating from Earth Schoolroom. The Open Door, with host Tom Schumacher and Terry Kennedy, is broadcast live every Tuesday at 11 a.m. Pacific, 2 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America 7th Wave Channel. How can you make holistic health care work for you? When you are in search of wholeness, it's time to listen to Mind, Body, Spirit, Living a Holistic Life with host Renee David Alkali. Here you will find cutting-edge information that approaches the human being as a biochemical, individual, whole person rather than as a set of isolated symptoms. Learn how it all comes together on Mind, Body, Spirit, Living a Holistic Life. Live every Wednesday at 11 a.m. Eastern Time, 8 a.m. Pacific on 7th Wave. The Voice America 7th Wave Channel. Be extraordinary. Be the change. listening to Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews. We want to hear from you. If you have a question or comment about today's show, call in now, toll free, 1-866-472-5795. That's 1-866-472-5795. You can also send your questions or comments by email to Andrea at andreamatthewslpc.com. Now, back to Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews. I want to tell you all about this upcoming Super Soul Sunday. It's called Soul to Soul 2, Asking Life's Big Questions. This is the second of that series. It airs Sunday, December the 22nd at 11 a.m. Eastern and Pacific on OM, the Oprah Winfrey Network. Oprah's going to sit down with today's top leaders and teachers and spiritual leaders to discuss life's big questions. A regular feature on Super Soul Sunday, Oprah's Soul Questionnaire poses thought-provoking questions such as, what is the difference between spirituality and religion? What is the soul? And what happens when we die? It's a soul-stirring celebration of the most provocative insights and fascinating viewpoints from our remarkable roster of guests, including Dr. Maya Angelou, Nate Berkus, India Ari, Brene Brown, 
Phil Jackson, and more. Plus, exclusive never-before-seen footage and surprise guest appearances by rock and soul queen Tina Turner, legendary filmmaker George Lucas, and Grammy Award-winning artist John Legend. Then Oprah asked the Super Soul community to share the places they feel at peace. From the shores of Ireland to the heartland of India, they're going to take a look at breathtaking photos from Super Soul Sunday fans. Listen to this clip. What's the best piece of advice you've ever gotten? Be quiet enough to hear God's voice so that you can find your own. Do not let anyone no matter who it is, tell you your dreams cannot come true. Okay, so you need to settle something with me with this because I quote you as saying this, but you quote somebody else. I don't know where this came from. <laughs> okay. When people show you who they are, believe them the first time. Maya Angelou. Thank you. I had a chance to have a conversation with um, Dr. Angelou. Mm -hmm. And at the end of our conversation, I said, if there's one thing that you just want me to know, what would it be? And she said, I have risked everything to just tell the truth. India, just tell the truth. Mm -hmm. That's when it started to really resonate. Like, it's not telling the truth is not just what you say. It's how you show up. It's making honest decisions. Mm -hmm. It's being your truth. Being your truth. What is the best piece of advice you've ever gotten? Mm, so many good things. I know. Yeah. Um, I guess the greatest advice is to forgive. Mm. I don't anoint it with anything. Mm. I just forgive it. Wow. That looks like, sounds like a great show coming up, and I can't wait to see it. I hope you're going to be there for it, too. Um, you know, one of the things that India Ari said there was the idea of truth, being the truth, telling the truth. And that is where the story of the woman at the well started, as we started talking about a little while ago. How she, we begin the journey of, of coming to know who we are as only Christ truly, as only Buddha truly, as only the divine self truly, is we begin to tell the truth. We begin to tell the truth. That's what happened. She had to tell the truth. Yep, you're right. Um, that's what's happening. My husband, the guy that I'm living with is not my husband. Yeah, I have had seven husbands or something like that. Um, you know, yeah, she told the truth and he told, she spoke it first. She said something about, uh, uh, her life before Jesus ever said, yep, that's, you've told the truth. That's what's been going on in your life. And so, um, that's the beginning. That's the very opening of the doors to begin to be very, very honest with ourselves. Not, you know, we don't have to go announcing everything to the world. Hey, listen, when, you know, you said that to me, I lied and I said, uh, we don't have to do all of that. You know, we just need to be honest with ourselves and really get clear about what our motivations have been. Why? Because that tells us about our identity. Not because it says, oh, now you should feel guilty. You've done all these bad things and you've, you know, you need, you need to really feel guilty about that. And, you know, just need to straighten you up, you know, get your act together. That's not why we need to do it. We don't need to do it so that we can correct ourselves. We need to do it so we can know ourselves. 
me. And that process is one in which coming to know ourselves is that rich, deep inner experience of self-awareness. And I don't mean just identity awareness. I mean self, divine self-awareness, where we get deeper and deeper and deeper into that essence of who we are that is just beingness. It's just beingness. It's not... Um, it's not doing this. It's not providing ourselves a, the correct pathway to walk. Um, it's, it, it comes from something deep inside of us. It comes from that same exact place where creativity comes from, where when we sit down to do a painting or we sit, uh, decide to make a meal that we haven't ever made before and we decide to mix up a bunch of ingredient, ingredients that we've never put together before, and it turns out beautiful. It's coming from something deep inside of us. It, and that is the divine self. It is the source of creativity. I remember the very first time that I ever began to understand that I could write from that place. Um, I was, it was many years ago. I was still very young. And, uh, I remember thinking, uh, about the way I had written poetry prior to that time where my poetry was contrived. It was um, it was thought out in advance, and this is what I was going to say. But suddenly, a new awareness came to me, and I can't even explain to you why it did or how, but I know it did. Suddenly, I started to write from something deeper, and it just came out and splashed itself on the paper. And when I was done with the furious writing, I looked back and went, "Oh my God, that came out of me." That is creativity. That is where the divine self lives. And it lives in the unconscious alongside all of that repressed material that we've sent away because we thought it was bad. We thought that uh, uh, it was bad to feel angry, so we sent that away. We thought it was bad to think uh, ill of someone else, so we sent that away. We thought it was bad to not like our neighbor, and so we sent that away. We thought all these things were bad, and we sent them away right in the same place where the divine self can be found. Isn't that interesting? That the wheat and the tares really do grow in the same field. Last week I talked about that parable about the wheat and the tares, and it's such a beautiful parable. Uh, but the main, and I want you to go back and listen to that show. I'm not going to go over that again now. But but uh, the main thing about that that is so very important to realize is that they were growing in the same field, and that field was called heaven. That field was heaven. That's where everything is all growing together. And divine self can be found in that spot where we think we're going to find all the bad stuff inside of us. That is what's so incredible about the journey we take inner to, to the deep inner terrain inside of ourselves. And, and so it, it is a journey that begins with just truth. Just, yes, this is what's going on in my life. Not just in my life, but inside of me. See, there's two, 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 there's three things actually that we need to be considered when we look, begin to the journey inward. One is my life. That's my external frame of reference. That's how I uh, operate in the everyday world. It's external. It's um, I have this job. I have this car. I have this house. I have this wife. This husband. These children. That's my life. That's what I've created. But that isn't me. 
I've worked with people as I've uh, <clears throat> over the years as a clinician where they've sat on my sofa and said, I hate my life. And my question is, who is the I that is hating? Because that's really important to find that out because there's something else. If I can hate my life, my life is not who I am. That's important to realize. And so when we begin that process of understanding that, that there's another part of me that isn't my life, then we go, oh, okay, well, I must be the creator of my life, but I am not my life. All right, now, wh- what is it that the I wants to create? Now we're talking about something new and different. And is what it wants to create coming from divine self or is it coming from an identity? That's the third element that we need to consider. So there's an I and there's an identity. There's an authentic me and there's an identity. And then there's my life. Those three things all need to be considered. And the way we're going to know the difference between the three is in how they feel. Yeah, our emotions are going to help us understand things about ourselves that we cannot understand any other way. And yet we spend 90% of our lives, that's a, that's a uh, figure just came popping right out of my head, who knows what percentage it actually is, but a good portion of our lives is spent trying not to feel what we feel. Isn't that interesting? The pathway in is going to be based in truth. And how we're going to know about truth is how we, um, how we feel about it. It's not necessarily just that it's an objective reality in our external lives, although that's also truth. It's also how I'm feeling inside of me, not just relative to my life, but in general. How do I feel about me? Who, you know, is there a discrepancy there? Does the I feel differently about the me than the me feels about the I? Now we're talking about the distinction between uh, the identity and the authentic self or the divine self. So those, those things need to be considered. Now, I'm not saying we should get off into some intellectual tangent, but I do think we need to know that there's three things going on, <clears throat> at least three things going on, where it's the identity who, who we lived out of, who defined what we did and said and repressed everything that didn't seem to match it. And then there's the, the divine self that's been hiding in there, wanting to come out and shows itself every now and then through what we clinicians call affect, through emotions. And then there's the life, the life that is what I, my identity or my authentic self or maybe a mix of both, has created. Those things need to be considered. So when we step inside ourselves, when we just sit down to meditate and we get quiet, or we don't get quiet, we can listen to the monkey chatter also going on in our heads. As we do that, we we become more aware of what's going on inside of us. And that very process of just sitting and being with whatever comes up begins to self-reveal. We open the door a crack for the authentic self to come through, and it's coming through because it wants to come through. And we don't have to, uh, we, we don't have to uh, make the assumption that, well, if I, if I don't work it, it's not going to work. If I don't pump this thing up, it's not going to work. No, it works by us just sitting quietly, ceasing striving, 
And the authentic self begins to go, oh, there's a crack in that door. Let's go through there and, and reveal ourselves a little bit more. And and that very process is a process of becoming aware. Now, unfortunately, sometimes we have to get whacked in the head. <laughs> and I've been whacked in the head, and uh, life does sometimes present us with unplanned, unthought of, uncreated um, crises that come up that are not our fault, that just arrive at our door. Um, and those things are the biggest mystery of all because we know we didn't do that, but there it is. And and now we, we're being challenged by something outside of ourselves to go inside of ourselves. And the crisis might involve a divorce, a death, a loss, a uh, a job change, a happy event, something that just surprises the heck out of us. Winning the lottery, for example. Those things can all be part of what wakes us up. So life, the capital L life, uh, can very often just bring home, bring something to our doorstep. We open the door and go, oh my God, I didn't want to see you. Let me close that door again. <laughs> and we do. We often close that door for a while and then we kind of have to open it back up. Why? Because our feelings push us to do that. So the process of, of us coming to know the self, the deepest essence of who we are, is being present with what comes up inside of us. It's not avoiding it. It's not trying to bargain with the universe through what's been called the law of attraction it's recognizing that all the things in our lives are but opportunities for us to come to know ourselves better and that's the life and then there's the me the real me the authentic me the divine self and then there's my identity and all of them have a push and all of them have an energy and and so we need to be able to sit with all of them and find out what it, what they're trying to tell us about who we actually are. Because the ultimate goal of this life is for me to live fully as me in it. And if I'm not doing that, I'm not really alive. And I'd like to be really alive around this time. Uh, I don't know how much about whether or not I was really alive in any other life. can't even say for sure that I've had any other lives, although I do believe I have. But I can say that this life, my intention is to live alive fully to the bone. So, okay, it's Christmas Day. We're going to air Sonia Choquette's interview on Tuning In. And New Year's Day, we're going to air Bruce Rilipton's interview on The Honeymoon Effect. Be here for those. If you haven't heard them already, come back and listen again. If you have heard them already, you'll get something new this time. Merry Christmas to all and to all a good night. Remember, your job is to give birth to yourself. Thanks again for listening to Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews. Join us again next Wednesday afternoon at 1 p.m. Pacific, 4 p.m. Eastern Time here on the 7th Wave Network. We'll talk again next week.